Good morning, Simon, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Steve. Great to be with you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, thanks. It's a, um, it's a beautiful sunny day here in, in Sydney. Obviously, still a bit, a bit quiet, uh, given we're all working from home, but uh, blue skies and sunshine nonetheless. Great. Great. Well, we, we, we've obviously been working together in different ways for some time now through Itabu and Future You and, and also the work we're doing together on task. And it's, yeah. it's great that we, got, we get the opportunity to talk a bit about um, you know, the, the different areas that we're working in and, and some of the, the ways we see the path unfolding as we go through the, the current slightly strange uh, situation that we're in at the moment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, really, really good to good to be with you, and um, yeah, able to hopefully provide some insight for everybody out there around around what we've what we've been seeing. The I think the key message when we talk about this though is that for you, there's there's light at the end of the tunnel, and I, I want to come back to that before we before we go down that road. Could you give people a bit of background about yourself and and where you've come from? Yeah, no, very happy to. So, um, look, I've been in um, the people game uh, and, and talent uh, acquisition and search work and then talent development and people strategy work for, for over 25 years now. Um, I had 20 years in one of the largest uh, listed recruitment companies uh, on the planet um, and was fortunate enough um, over a long period of time to jump in and out of um, various international markets and then ultimately run um, that entity's operations across Australia and New Zealand um, in my last four or five years. And, and I think my, my comment on that part of my career is it, it gave me a really good helicopter view on what drives, um, you know, the talent market across many different job type families and different, different sectors and different geographies. Uh, I then, um, turned 40 and, and made the, made the, the wacky decision to leave the, the corporate life behind and um, embark on a startup journey, uh, which was Future You. And look, pleased to say that, um, you know, Future You five years later is uh, still operating and continues to, we think, offer quite a, a unique position in the Australian market in terms of, um, redefining the way that organizations can go about talent acquisition. So very, very proud of that journey. Um, and then more recently, Steve, um, I've uh, embarked on a, a, another startup, uh, which is um, a new company, which is not in the market yet actually, but is going to be the culmination of three different entities, uh, which has a, a very strong technology platform um, heart and center to, to our strategy, um, but is overlaid with that people, people and consulting capability. So you could call the new venture really striving for the intersection between the human aspect of managing talent and the technology aspect of, of managing talent. So, um, you know, quite an interesting, quite an interesting, um, space to play in. Can you, can you go into that and in, to more detail? We're literally launching in the next couple of weeks, but the, the new group is called Compono and um, has a range of talent optimization technology products um, ranging from the acquisition sphere of talent through the developmental sphere of talent and then ultimately 
by doing a great job on both of those, helping organisations to predict with more accuracy what they do from a retention perspective. Um, and that goes hand in hand with our ability to do the people strategy and consulting work. Um, Cause often you can't get an ideal tech solution without that, um, that sort of human lens that comes through good old fashioned consulting. Um, so that's the, that's the new venture. Um, it's Australian based um, with a lot of local uh, technical expertise um, sitting here in Australia developing the product, which is quite unique. Um, but it does have global global aspiration and global applicability. Um, so COVID-19 aside, you know, it'll be full steam ahead. And and then, I mean, going back to future you with the, the world of COVID-19, yeah. what, what were the steps that you took as an organization to safeguard the business? What was your attitude towards it? And, you know, what's your, your, your current status and in, in so much as what you're comfortable to share? Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not operationally involved in Future You anymore. Um, so um, what I might do, Steve, is pull back and make some general comments about what I'm seeing across the recruitment sector at the moment. Yep. Um, you know, in terms of how people are handling it and then also refer back to my own personal experience leading a large recruitment firm through the, the global financial crisis, which is probably the, the last most relevant, um, you know, economic turbulence or event turbulence, which, which had to, you know, that the recruitment sector had to respond to. But, you know, engaging across um, the recruitment uh, leaders in the listed companies globally and then the recruitment leaders who actually own their own recruitment businesses and talking to a lot of people over the last three or four weeks, um, I think the benefit for that group on the whole, Steve, is because they went through the GFC, um, many of them have, have adopted a very early stance in terms of the economic turbulence which, which will result from COVID-19 and have taken measures to safeguard their businesses accordingly. Yeah. Um, what's probably different, though, is the, the level of... Um, government support in markets like the United Kingdom and the Australian market has meant that many recruitment leaders have actually chosen rather than to stand down their workforce, you know, they're leveraging that economic support from the government to hold their workforce and try and navigate through because the other key lesson from the GFC for, for many of us um, who were leading recruitment businesses at the time is that um, on reflection, you know, we, we cut very deep and um, it did mean that the recovery took longer because recruitment is a very um, people-orientated business and, and you need, you know, the recruiters out there holding the relationships with their clients and candidates. So I think um, people are taking early measures this time around, but, but they're certainly leveraging the economic support that's on offer through the various um, government packages that are, that are being offered to, to, to keep people um, employed in some shape or form um, so that when things do improve, you know, they're in, they're in a good position to maintain the relevance that they've had for clients and candidates for, for, for some time. How, how do you feel about the, uh, the, you know, the Australian prognosis seems to be, um, I would say, more positive than a lot of other countries? How is that affecting your ability to make decisions, would you say, compared to, say, um, business business owners in, in the UK? 
Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, my, my feeling, Steve, is that it is it is literally chalk and cheese. You know, in terms of yeah. in terms of in terms of those two markets as examples, and and so, um, you know, the observations on the Australian market from a health outcome perspective is, um, you know, fortunately we seem to have been able to flatten the curve. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Australia is beyond the health crisis, but it certainly allows the country to start turning its attention to the economic crisis. And obviously a key part of that is going to be um, employment and getting Australians back into jobs that have been stood down. Now, if you're a recruiter in the Australian market, how you're affected by what I've just said really does depend on which part of the recruitment market you're focused on. You know, is it the search end of town um, where you're placing people in the C-suite? Is it the executive recruitment market? So an Aussie dollars recruiting any of the job type families between 80 and let's say 250 or 300K, or is it the frontline staffing roles in both blue collar and white collar, you know, so sub, let's say 80, 80 to 90K. Um, so all of those markets are being affected in very different ways. But the challenge in Australia at the moment is there's not a lot of predictive data yet around what damage has been done to the employment and the job situation here during March and April. So we won't really see that in Australia until May and June, but that gives recruiters enough time to prepare tactically in terms of how they approach their market with candidates and clients between July and December, which fortunately for the Australian recruitment industry is when we also tend to see the busiest recruitment period. So if even if the market was down, there potentially are opportunities for Australian recruiters if we keep making progress against the health outcome and therefore business, the government and the community starts to turn their attention to the economic outcome and, and the road ahead um, for Australia. My impression of the UK is is quite different to that in, in that the health outcome doesn't have an horizon yet. Um, there, there seems from the recruiters that I've spoken to a lot of frustration around the um, lack of focus from an economic perspective. Um, but unfortunately, unlike Australia, where we, we potentially in June, July hit the peak recruitment season, in the UK, you know, as you would know, Steve, um, we don't, you know, so from July through August, September, it's the natural mm. downtime, yep. you know, for some, for summer holidays. And so I think for the recruitment sector over there, the best outcome possibly is an October, November um, opportunity, you know, in terms of tactically seeing, seeing some sort of improvement. But most people that I know over there are really focused on um, how they ride through 2020 and prepare for hopefully a better time in 2021. So very different time horizon. We, we've mentioned the, the words light at the end of the tunnel. Um, what, what's your, what's your, your vision there in terms of as people now look forward and there's a, an, an acceptance of the new reality? When people look forward, where, where would you suggest that they start to um, focus on what are the areas that they should be focusing on in in order to ask the right questions in order to get their businesses to go in the right direction given the the change in affairs well what advice would you be giving there I think I'd draw my own experience there saying <clears throat> you know from a from a when, when you when you're part of a large 
corporate environment, the challenge, of course, is the existing infrastructure and the investment that that business has made in particular um, aspects of the way that it runs. And, you know, so technology and technology platforms is an obvious one. Um, and there's often a large financial cost or burden associated with making a step change in a different direction to mm. see some efficiency in, in my time um, in startup land. Um, clearly you can be a lot more agile uh, in terms of the decisions that you make. And, and I would say what was available four or five years ago when we started the future you journey versus what's available in 2020 is also evolved substantially. And so my encouragement would be to leverage this time to think about that ultimate junction point between what you provide to the marketplace in um, personal branding and people terms and how you can elevate that to the next level by um, digitizing and creating efficiency through as much technology innovation in your business as um, you know you, you can handle because uh, this opportunity to, to just take stock of where you stand is is quite a rare one <clears throat> and um, you know, it could be a point of clarity for, for the right type of leaders and business owners at the moment, as opposed to a point of chaos and, and confusion. A question, how would you, when people talk about, um, there, there's, there's a school of thought which says, oh, the world has changed forever, which I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite buy that. And then there's another school of thought that says, well, um, human nature being what it is, rather than learning from, uh, you know, rather than taking lessons from the experience, um, the second they get a vaccine out, it'll be back to business as usual and um, all the old bad habits will come in. My, my personal feeling is there's a balance between those two uh, extremities. What, what is your view in, in terms of what is the so-called new normal and yeah. what's the what's the bounce back to what was going on previously? Um, what, yeah. what what do you think the drivers are, and how do you think it's going to pan out? Well, well, Steve, I'd I'd actually probably move away from COVID nineteen, which I think is is in sort of hyperdrive at the moment, and and yeah. probably draw your attention to a concept that I've been I've been personally focused on for the past four or five years, which is um, how do you create a business which has real purpose and has a very clear understanding of what its higher calling is in relation to um, its customers, obviously, but also uh, the people that it employs. And I think purpose in business and um, a people-first approach to business, uh, if anything, is probably going to accelerate because of COVID-19. It's not going to slow down, and that's a trend that was here well before COVID-19 read its ugly head. And I, and I think um, the smarter business leaders will um, leverage the current situation to really accelerate their plans around a purpose and values aligned approach to the way that they drive their business. Because we know pre COVID-19 that there's already a lot of evidence to suggest that that type of approach will outperform organizations or competitors that, that that don't have that sense of purpose and values in their in their business so i think the smart leader um whilst of course adapting to the short term uh, won't ignore that trend you know and will really 
look at ways that they can accelerate um, their purpose and values-based approach to leadership in the business. Um, and my cautionary insight there would be that if you approach the management of people during COVID-19 the same way that a lot of organisations, not only within the recruitment sector, but more broadly handled the GFC, you'll pay twice as much this time around in terms of employee movement on the other side. So, so people are much have a much greater awareness of whether an organisation is purposely and values aligned with their, their personal objectives in life than perhaps they did, you know, a decade ago. So that's, that's something that I think, um, you know, won't, won't go away. But unfortunately, when things get uh, back to normal, you know, it will be interesting to see, will 80 to 90% of the market and businesses go back into hibernation on that subject? Or will we see will we see COVID as a catalyst to actually see more businesses switch on to that purpose and values led approach? Do you um, and how do you see the gig economy? Um, ex- you see the gig economy accelerating as we as we come out of this, as businesses look to maintain variable costs as opposed to accruing more fixed costs. Or how do you how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've already seen quite a few uh, baseline economic models in terms of the way that people are prepared to do business change quite dramatically over the last six to eight weeks. And the key word I'd use there is uh, flexibility, um, innovation, creativity around the way that an organisation commercially engages. <clears throat> and um, I actually think that that is something that that's going to be hard to switch off on the other side, you know, in terms of that, that those new approaches, the um, lack of um, buy-in from a, an owner of a business to lock into even a 12, even a 12 month contract, you know, like I think, I think people are uh, going to expect a lot more flexibility and adaptability and for organizations to back the fact that their product delivers what they say it can. And I think in the gig economy, I mean, that's, that's quite fundamental, you know, it sort of um, does what you're saying you can do with your product. Can it, can it actually deliver? And pe- people will be uh, quite fierce in terms of measuring it and they'll, they'll, they'll move around more to find the right solution. If, you, if you're going to, I don't know if you, you can say this off the top of your head, but when you look at opportunities, when you're thinking about opportunities and, and you would suggest opportunities that other businesses should be looking for, I mean, you, you, we've touched on it um, already to, in, in, a, in a sense, but if you're going to summarize opportunity and, and how businesses should you know, really be pushing to grab at the silver lining, are there, you know, what are the key questions you would ask or what are the key directors you would be giving to business owners? I think from, from my perspective is that, that what was relevant um, two months ago is not necessarily relevant right now in terms of, um, you know, let's take an easy one. You know, I was a guru in the um, mining and resources sector in Australia, for example. You know, so is that still relevant uh, as we see light at the end of the tunnel through the COVID-19 situation? Well, it might be, but equally um, mitigation of risk, I think is really important to consider. So some of the better, better organizations in the past six to eight weeks have really pivoted and are pursuing a multi-sector approach. 
um, so that they are not too narrow in terms of their footprint. Yep. Um, so I think that agility and sort of um, r- removal of the 12 month business plan and really the instigation of the weekly review and certainly on a month by month basis, you know, how, how are we progressing? And if it's, we're not progressing, okay, well, we need to fail forwards on that approach and, and move in a different direction. So I think the better leaders at the moment are extremely agile and in touch with the detail um, to ensure that they can pivot their organization in the right direction. Are you seeing businesses looking to come together, merge, um, get closer in order to um, you know, share and, and be able to survive in a better way in the, in, in the, within the agency space? Um, I think in terms of uh, partnerships, um, unfortunately, in recruitment, uh, sometimes not so much. You know, like even because because we're we're talking about a sector that's enjoyed extremely buoyant conditions for quite some time, and and you know there were there was quite a lot of sale activity, M and A activity, um, you know, across the sector in both markets like the UK and Australia, and and clearly, um, yeah, that's just evaporated uh, in the short term. Um, yet to be seen, you know, what happens on the M&A horizon over the next six to 12 months. But I think um, you do have a bit of a, a divide there in terms of the larger scale recruitment companies um, being very, very focused on their outcomes that they need to achieve quarter by quarter and the smaller scale recruitment companies probably being the ones that um, if they were going to partner or think about collaboration, um, you know, would already be doing it. And 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 in that's that part of the sector, Steve, in both the UK and Australia, it's sort of two camps. You know, it's those that believe that um, they're best being an absolute specialist and, you know, don't really uh, engage with anyone else in the sector. They concentrate on their candidates and clients 100%. And then there are others that believe that collaboration, thought, uh, thought diversity, um, you know, the sharing of ideas is, is a really good thing and have formed some either strategic alliances with commercial outcomes written into them or certainly informal alliances where they're sharing, you know, really valuable information about all sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, there's no, there's no common theme there. Um, but, you know, it's not a bad time if you, if you, if you do want to move into that collaborative camp uh, you know, it's not a bad time to, to reach out and start those sorts of conversations. And you might be surprised at the openness that you um, encounter on the other side of a Zoom. And, and in a, a sort of different, um, in a different use case for those consultants out there that may have been made redundant, would you, do you think we'll see a prolifer, prolifer, proliferation of the of, of, uh, one-man bands starting and... Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think the time is ripe for um, startups actually in the current environment to get going and look to get out there and competing? I mean, do you think it's a good idea? What advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I reflect on uh, a decade ago and, and you know, I've met, I've met some, some great people in the recruitment sector, both in the UK and Australia in the past five or six years who actually started their business in 2008, 2009 and early 2010. 
and did exactly what you're you're suggesting and looking back on it you know they often reflect that actually that was the best time for them to kick off their business because they had real clarity around who they wanted to be what they wanted to represent in the market as an employer and as also um, you know a new service offering for candidates and clients I think you will see um, you know new breed of recruitment firm emerge post COVID-19, which is probably a lot more digitized in terms of its offering. Um, and for the first time starts to leverage AI and machine learning to provide um, greater predictive data around outcomes for, for both candidates and clients. Um, and therefore, you know, does that lead to a different type of PL for the recruitment company of old, you know, which is typically very heavy on staff cost? Um, quite possibly. Um, but again, it's, it's a pathway for the more innovative um, avant-garde leader in the sector, as opposed to, you know, the status quo, the status quo type approach. Um, the one man band situation is probably in a, you know, very individual discussion in terms of, you know, what your fixed cost base in life looks like, you know, whether you're living in Sydney or you're living in, um, you know, I don't know, the south, the south uh, west coast of the UK, you know, it's sort of have you chosen the city, city life and the private school pathway or are you, have, you, have you got off the grid and, you know, you can do everything via Zoom. So if you think about it that way, the off-the-grid approach with the, the increasingly um, acceptance around Zoom and Google Hangouts and those sorts of environments to do business and to close business, um, that opens up a totally different model for the one-man band recruiter. And that's not to say that people haven't been doing that sort of work remotely for um, a long time, but you could see an acceleration in that trend um, as opposed to people feeling like they still need to uh, go and see their client uh, face-to-face. Which, and that, that ties back in really when you talk about existing businesses whose key challenge is the infrastructure and all the the, the vestigial um, limbs they carry as they built up this business. And, and yeah. if only you could rid yourself of that, you yeah. would be able to get into startup thinking and, and startup thinking in the current environment is, is probably, as you said, you know, there's no better time if you're, if you're nimble. So as a organization, how do you create that startup environment and, and work fast to make sure that you're, able to grab the opportunity that that's out there yeah yeah and i think i'm thinking you know in a small to medium-sized enterprise it's easy to have that mentality every day and sort of wrap your arms around a discussion across five people or 10 people 15 people or 20 people i think in recruitment when you go over 25 people um you know it gets harder to maintain that type of momentum so you know dealing with a recruitment organization between 25 and 50 is a challenge um, and then certainly, you know, 50 plus is a different, a different scenario altogether. In some respects, you know, 50 plus, you're better off allowing five people who have an innovative idea and giving them the, the headspace and the freedom to be able to go and, and leverage it. And if it takes off, you know, you can orientate more of your mainstream business into that space. But if you try and do it um, as a core part of an organization of that size or larger, you know, it often gets knocked on the head way too early and you don't, yep. you don't see the pathway for innovation. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, before we close out the podcast, um, 
is are there any pieces of information or advice that you you'd like to share out that we haven't um we haven't covered so far well i think you know staying staying calm at the moment and positive um sounds like a cliched message but but i do think it's um it's important to have that sense of of being uh, in terms of how you engage both both with uh, people and in, inside your business, but also with clients and candidates. If you if you're in the recruitment sector, and I think it's quite it's quite a quite a key key approach, Steve, because um, you know pe- people pick up the vibe, and um, you know they want they want to engage with people who can see beyond the the immediate horizon and 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 give a sense of where things are, where things are heading. So in your particular area of subject matter expertise, it's really important to um, think about thought leadership and how you can share that. Yeah, agreed. Thank you. Simon, where can people find out more about you? Where, where should they go to, to connect with you? Um, connect on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Yeah, link, LinkedIn's um, probably a good mainstream medium to do that. Just reach out. Um, Happy to to connect with anybody that'd like to talk further, and um, always, uh, always, always, um, yeah, quite quite happy to engage with with people that I know, but but also people people that I haven't perhaps crossed paths with in the past. Yeah, so compono.com um, is is the best the best place to go to, um, you know, in terms of in terms of connecting connecting with me. Brilliant, Simon. Thanks so much for your time, and um, you know, greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Great to, great to talk to you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this Itabu podcast. Itabu helps you make placements faster. For more information, please visit itabu.com.